Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. So last week we started a a little series called uh, This Place. And we really just started talking about how God chose places uh, on earth to dwell with his people. Uh, we, looked at the, you know, uh, we looked at the Garden of Eden. We looked at the temples in the Old Testament. And then we basically come down to the conclusion of where he has chose to reside in today's time. And that's us because the Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so for a few moments today, we're going to look at the furnishings of the temple, the Old Testament temple, uh, and see what they represent for us in our life. Because the Bible does say, and I'm going to read the verse here in a second, the Bible does say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is very interesting in, in a specific regard that everything you see in the Old Testament uh, in, in a very in a practical and spiritual way has a representation for us uh, as New Covenant or New Testament followers uh, of Christ. So the fact that the Old Testament temple had some furniture, some furnishings in it for a for specific reason translate to the New Testament temple, which is us and what we should have in our lives. And uh, so let me, let me read you a couple verses, a couple areas of Scripture. So the first one is 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, we'll skip around a little bit. Start with 12, end with 16. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And just for the record, this is when Solomon was dedicating the temple that he had built. Moving on to verse 15, it says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house. Again, the temple. House and temple go hand in hand in Scripture. That my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So that was when Solomon was dedicating the temple. He said a prayer unto the Lord he sacrificed like over a thousand uh, uh, animals unto the Lord, sheep. And then, you know, God responded with this blessing, and this was a part of that blessing. And so God was very pleased uh, with what Solomon had started. And then we move on into the New Testament because we know our New Testament faith is not uh, like Old Testament faith. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 19, excuse me, says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So that is just a confirmation to what I'm saying, what I said last week and what I'm saying today, that God chose specific areas to dwell on earth so that he could communicate, connect with, have these moments 
with his children. Now, in the Old Testament, it was done via a priest. So the priest met with God on behalf of the people. The New Testament is not so. We, each of us, are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and we ourselves is a dwelling place for God to move and exist here upon the earth. And in each one of us, God wants to move. God wants to speak. God wants to interact. For us, the actual temple, and for those outside of our temple, our families, in our communities in the world. So what's, so when you study the Old Testament temple, it had specific furnishings that had a specific a job that was used for a specific reason. And each one of those things translate to something we should have in our life in order to be a proper temple. Because what's interesting in the Old Temple Old Testament temple, if that temple wasn't set up correctly, guess what? God didn't move freely. Everything had to be in order, in order for God to fulfill his will amongst his people. And so that translates to us, in order for us, the temple of the Holy Ghost today has to have things in order in our life if we want God to move freely, fully inside of us. Am I making sense with that? So let's just look at, look at some of these things. I, I'm not wanting to keep you long this morning. And this is not a full teaching. Uh, I think it was sometime last year I did a full teaching on the temple. Uh, it took us I don't know, about two months on Wednesday night. So if you're interested in a full teaching on the temple, you can go to our podcast uh, and search the titles of the temples and it'll take you to those messages. But this is just an overview uh, of what was in the Old Testament temple and how it applies to our lives today. And the reason for this message is so that you and I can set ourselves up properly so that God can move in us, so that we can experience God uh, to the fullness of how God would desire to interact with with you and I. So anyway, the first thing you would come across, well, let me say this. So the temple area was split into two areas. It had an outside area and it had an inside area. If you want to get real technical, it had two areas on the inside. So the outside was the outer courts. It was outside, but it was within the temple walls or the tent walls, if you're looking at Moses' tabernacle. Then you walked inside the temple, the building, and there was the holy place. And then there was a back room called the holies of holies or the most holy place. Now, on the outside, there were, speci- there were some specific articles uh, that kind of replicated themselves. But yet there were two main articles, and it was the altar of sacrifice and the laver. Now, the altar of sacrifice is where sacrifices took place. So as we talked about last week, there was different types of sacrifices uh, that God required from his people. There was a trespass sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice, a sin sacrifice. Uh, there, uh, there's, I'm, I'm going blank. There's a couple other primary sacrifices and then little offshoots of sacrifices from, from those five primaries. So people would bring a sacrificial product like a goat, a lamb, a, a, a dove, a gr- some grain 
to the priest and they would sacrifice this unto the Lord and they would sacrifice it number one if it was an animal they would slit the throat and then they would place the body up on top of the altar and then they would set it on fire for us for us today what this means is repentance so the Old Testament burnt altar of sacrifice is a representation of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for humanity to be saved like the first order of business when it comes to us setting our life upright in order for us to be a temple that God is going to come in and we are going to interact with him, hear from him, be blessed fully by him. It first starts with change and change is a byproduct of repentance, right? Repentance is not just saying, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. No, when you really look at repentance, it has to do with change. It's us realizing that we are wrong and how we need to do something different and us being apologetic unto the Lord and then us making the change that needs to occur. It's a sacrifice. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, uh, in and out, how our sacrifice unto the Lord is when we want to do something because most of the time when we're tempted to sin, it is something we want to do, whether it is a negative want to do or a pleasurable want to do. And when we say, no, I'm not going to do this, we are sacrificing this emotion, we are sacrificing this want, and we are giving it unto the Lord. It is a sacrifice unto the Lord. And the Bible teaches us, if I'm not mistaken, in James... I might be corrected on that, but anyway, that we are to be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto the Lord. So back to the point is the first thing that we have to have in order in our life is repentance. And repentance is a, is a heart change. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I need to change my ways. So that's the first thing. The altar of sacrifice represents repentance. The second thing is the bronze laver. Now the bronze laver was basically a giant bronze bowl that was filled with water and it was created for cleansing. So the priest, after they uh, carried out the sacrifice, they was a bit dirty. They had dust on them, they had ash on them, they had blood on them. And before they could enter into the holy place, the temple, they had to cleanse themselves. So they would go to the bronze laver and they would begin to cleanse themselves. They would wash their hands specifically. They would wash their feet and other parts of their body as well. It was not a full bath. They did not take their clothes off, but they washed the part of their flesh that became dirty during the process of sacrifice. And what this teaches us today that once we repent, what happens is we enter into a process of cleansing our minds, cleansing our lives, cleansing our body to become more like Christ. How many can say that, that in your life, especially those of you who have, who's been walking with God a good bit, that as soon as you repented, it was, it was all over? Like you didn't have no process to work through. Hmm? 
Yeah, I, now I, I know there are some, like there's some of you have, that has had some really awesome miracles in your life. We've talked about it, where when you gave it to the Lord, boom, it was over with. It's like God just miraculously just boom, just like changed something inside your life. But a lot of us, that has not been the case. We've repented, we've made choices to make changes, but then for those changes to be a, 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 a constant occurrence in our life, we had to go through a process of cleansing ourselves, a process of reading the Word, because the Word is a type of cleanser by water, is what the Bible teaches us. A process of finding yourself in a good Bible-based church so that in that church you are also taught the word, you are prayed for, you are ministered to, you are connecting and fellowshipping with other Christians who has like weaknesses and like struggles, and you work together to hold each other accountable, right? We go through a process, or let's say this, you start your journey of faith with God, or you enter into a new level of faith with God, Everything's going good, but then all of a sudden you feel in your heart that God's wanting you to make some more changes. Because it's not like all of a sudden, as soon as you repent, God just kind of opens up the bag of changes and just tells you everything in your life you need to change at once. I mean, that would, I don't, I don't think that would do most of us any good. Like when, when your kid reaches five years old, when our kids reach five years old, or let's say 10 years old, when our kid reaches 10 years old, do we tell them everything they shouldn't do from then to 18 years old? No. They'll be like, what? what are you talking about? I don't even drive. They might be like, you said do what with a girl? What's that, dad? Right? You, 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 you don't give everything because they will implode emotionally they couldn't handle it so like when we go through a cleansing process God just doesn't dump the whole bag on us for our lives now there's some certain things that he definitely dumps and the Ten Commandments is a good starting place but am I making sense so we go through a cleansing process of washing our hands washing our feet so that we can continue on the rest of our journey uh, that makes up us as a temple. So the third one is now you enter into the temple and the first thing you see like in the temple, there's no windows in the temple. The first thing you see is the light and the light is coming from another article. It's called the golden lamp stand or some people say light stand. But what it is, it's it's a, it's a type of menorah. Uh, this menorah is supposed to kind of represent an a almond tree. And then at the top of each stem, of each branch rather, there's a little container that holds oil. And then there's a wick. And then it gets lit on fire. So within the, uh, within the menorah, you have three things that has very strong representations for us. You have oil, you have fire, and then you have the impact of the combination of oil and fire, which is light. 
And they each three represent something for us. So the oil represents the anointing. The fire represents the Holy Spirit. The light represents the impact that occurs when the Holy Spirit and the anointing is fused together through us or in us, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the anointing, like we each have been anointed for something. It's like, it's just that some of us have embraced it and some of us have not. What is that? Your anointing is just like what God has called you to do within the scope of his kingdom. For his kingdom. Like each and every one of us has been called to do something for God. On behalf of God in the world. And it's like God's, uh, it's God's stamp of approval. It's God's stamp of power. It's like this uniqueness about you that God has said, hey, I want you to do this. And he gives you this grace and he gives you this power and he gives you this ability. That's your personal anointing. And that's what the oil represents. But then you have the fire. And the fire represents the Holy Spirit. Now check this out. So Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus uh, read it. It was his very first message after he entered into ministry at 30 years old. And the Bible says, uh, Isaiah prophesied uh, concerning Jesus, the Spirit is upon me because, can you say because? The Spirit is upon me or the anointing is upon me or no, I'm sorry, the Spirit is upon me or the fire is upon me because God has anointed me. On the lampstand, you only have light because of the fire and the oil. If you didn't have the oil and you didn't have the fire, you don't have the light. How can you be a light unto the world? It's when the Holy Spirit meets your oil. It's when the fire meets the oil, there is illumination, and illumination creates impact and creates effectiveness. So it's imperative that you recognize your anointing. What? has God anointed you to do? And then it is just as important for you to go into partnership with the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost comes upon what God anoints for the reason of that anointing. And when you have the Holy Ghost coming upon what God anoints, then you have power. So it's so, I cannot, it's, I can't stress to you enough to know your anointing. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? In my experience, and I'm not trying to stereotype or do a in general uh, judging, but in my experience in working with people for a long time now, is that the reason people aren't chose is because a lot of people don't know or have not tried to find out what they're anointed to do within the scope of God's kingdom. Many are called. I will say every single one of you in this building that is under the blood of Jesus is called. But whether you are chosen or not is a whole different story. God's called you, 
But maybe you've not allowed yourself to be chosen because you have not sought God on behalf of your special, unique, beautiful anointing that he has for only you. Your anointing is like your fingerprint. No one can do it like you. And no one's going to have the same power. No one's going to have the same effect. That's why I'm so opposed to copycat ministries. Because when you come across copycat preachers and you come across copycat ministries, they are technically trying to place somebody else's fingerprint of ministry upon themselves and it just never works. Like you gotta connect with God. Like, and you know what? It starts by the sacrifice, the repenting. It starts by getting clean. And then you go into that secret place, you go inside that temple, you connect with God and you begin to realize what he's called you to do. And it may not be one thing, he might call you to do multiple things. But whenever you find that out, then you come in alignment with the Holy Ghost. You're like, Holy Ghost, lead me. I got this heart, I have this grace, I got this power, I got this gift, but I don't know what the heck to do. Holy Ghost, I need you to lead me in this. And then the Holy Ghost begins to lead you into the ministry that God has called you to. But it's not based on anybody else's gift, it's based on your special anointing. Right on? And then you have light, which is the impact unto the world. So let's move on to the next one. The next one is the table of showbread. So the table of showbread is a literal table that has unleavened bread upon it. I can't remember the exact digits because the deets, yeah, as you know, I have issues with details. But each one of these breads weighed, was very heavy, weighed several pounds, and it was unleavened. How many of you know anything about making bread? I guarantee you, you know about eating bread. <laughs> yeah. Now, some of you may not eat bread, but I know most of you eat bread. And you know there is a difference between leavened bread and unleavened bread, and there is a difference between dense unleavened bread and light unleavened bread. And dense unleavened bread sometimes can be, it's like chewing a, a it's, I, I was going to say a brick. It's not quite as hard as a brick. But it, it, it's, it's like, imagine taking the most toughest piece of meat that you've overcooked. How many of you accidentally overcooked a really big, thick tri-tip? And you went to cook and bite into that thing, and you were giving yourself, you were giving your jaws a powerlifting workout. Like, like, I really want to spit this out, but I don't want to waste $20. Heavy, unleavened bread was such a workout to eat. It was not a pleasurable, exist, uh, a pleasurable uh, thing to do. And actually on Sabbath, the priest had to come in and eat all the bread. Yeah, uh is right. Long story short, there was a, so bread in the Bible represents the word of God. And what's so interesting, it's the only one in the whole temple that's called a table. What do you really do at a table? Not just eat, yeah, we know. We, I, food is, I, I'm gonna get you out of here soon, all right? I know food is on your mind. 
You don't got those 4th of July barbecue thoughts going on, don't you? Table is for fellowshipping. I mean, most of the time, yes, we eat, but it's also for fellowshipping. So the idea here is for us in our temple, the table of showbread means that we sit down and we fellowship with God via his word. If you really want to have a conversation with God, if you want to really have some one-on-one time with God, it starts with his word. And sometimes the bread of the word is pleasurable. And I think we all know, sometimes the bread we have to eat from God's word is like chewing a brick. You're like, do I really have to eat this, God? Do I really have to do this? Do I really have to live this way? Do I really have to treat this person that way? Right? So for us, inside of our temple, we have to have time that we talk with God or have interaction with God via his word. And that's not, just come, that's not just when you come to church. Like, like, what I give you is extremely limited. We have so much information going through our brains. Like, I guarantee you, you're, you're probably going to retain maybe, maybe, hopefully, 20% of this. If the, if the statistics are right, it's more like 10 to 5%. But when you sit down and you interact with God at a proverbial table, consuming his bread, and he shows you something, and he speaks to you, that interaction with God can last for years or even a lifetime, right? So that's the table of showbread. We have to have interaction with God based off of his word. Now the next one is the table of incense. So a specific type of incense concoction was made. This was a a blend of spices, and it was uh, lit, and this aroma filled the temple, but it, it was also extremely significant because it was a type of worship that went up to God. Now, what's very important, this is really important uh, to realize, not all worship is sacrificial worship. In general, worship means sacrifice. That's what you find in Scripture. But I really, I really appreciate the truth in the table of incense because the table of incense represents worship that is pleasurable. Because there was just a, splice, a spice blend that was made. There was no sacrifice involved. It was set afire by, set afire by the priest. And this aroma went to heaven, and it represented a personal, pleasurable, intimate worship unto the Lord. Yes, we have to come before God, and we worship by being a a living sacrifice, as I said earlier. 
But at the same time, there should be these moments where our worship isn't about sacrifice. Our interaction with God is out of passion and love. For me, I I see a lot of parallel between husbands and wives and God and humanity, and that's why I will allude to a marriage, a relationship when I speak sometimes, but like when it comes to husbands and wives, sometimes our interaction is sacrificial, like what? We're we're sacrificing for one another. We're working with one another. We're hammering things out with one another. We're balancing each other out. There's giving take. You got to have that in a marriage or your, mes- your, your, your marriage won't be strong. You know, there's sacrifice and hard work. But then there's other times in a marriage, throw the sacrifice out the door, throw the hard work out the door, and let's just enjoy the pleasures that occur between a husband and a wife. You're looking at me like you're dead or something, I would, like, like you're shocked. I don't know. You're looking, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. When you study scripture out, there is a great par- parallel between righteous husbands and wives and humanity and God. The table of incense represents the pleasurable intimacy between humanity and God, just like pleasurable intimacy between husband and wife. And in a relationship, in a marriage, in order for you to have a well-balanced, healthy marriage, you have to have this sacrifice component inside the marriage because you're sacrificing for each other, giving and taking, but you also have to have times for pleasurable intimacy. It's what completes the marriage. It's what makes it strong and balanced. God, we don't just live for God in a sacrificial way. We also live with God in a pleasurable way. I can honestly say to you that I've experienced more pleasure from God than I have had to sacrifice for God. Because his pleasurable blessings upon me and my family is greater than the little sacrifices of my flesh that I've had to offer up to him. Sometimes we, sometimes, you know, we, God gets a bad, rap, a, a bad rap or we get attitude with God because, you know, of all the, quote, don'ts, you know, the things that we can't do, we shouldn't do. And there, there are some, some things, but if you really weigh out the differences, there is more pleasure in God than there is sacrifice to God. And to be very honest with you, that's what keeps me. Like, if, if, if I was to live a life of nothing but sacrifice and there was no pleasure in this relationship, I don't know, I think I'd be bowing out a little bit. Be like, this ain't worth it. This is just like a, this is a one-way street here. All I'm doing is making a bunch of sacrifices and I'm not finding any pleasure in this relationship. What's, in, what, what's going on? Like what's in it? It would be unbalanced. But that's not the case. The case is God is so good and so living, loving and such a blessing 
that we can find more pleasure in him that out equates the sacrifice we have to make unto him. Amen. Ooh, that's a good one. Can you look at someone and say, that's a good one. The last but not the least is the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holies of Holies. Now, there's a lot of detail here, but we are not going into that. Just know this. So this is a place that the priest would go in once a year. They would go into this place, and they would literally have an a, a, a interaction with God. God would manifest in some degree or another. It was a very special place. It was very significant, very sacred. Now, in the Old Testament, it was so sacred that if the priests didn't have everything lined up in their life right, when they entered into this place, guess what would happen? They would fall over dead. They literally had a rope tied to their ankle. They had a bell on their garment, bells actually, multiple bells, on their garment. And if other priests didn't hear the bell, bells ding, you know, dingling, that means they fall, fell over dead. And they would pull the rope and they would pull the dead priest out of the presence of God. That, can you say, thank God that's not us today? Because <laughs> we all would be like, Because let's just be real. When you look in the mirror, you ain't got all your stuff right. You know, we all jacked up a little bit or another. Look at somebody and say, you all jacked up. For us, though, for us, it represents very intimate, sacred, personal moments with God that's just between you and him. Because God is so loving and he does desire, desire us, he's willing to meet with you and I individually on a very personal uh, level where we can just really experience him. And it, those, those times and those moments they just absolutely solidify our faith. I've, I, I'm not going to go into them, but I've shared with you before some moments that I've had with God, literal physical moments that I've had with God, and they're very intimate and they're very sacred. They're between me and him, and they have made my faith so strong. And they are special, and they're things that I will remember, remember until the day I die. That sustains me when I'm struggling or when I'm weak or when I'm going through something. And I love, love the fact that it's, it's, it's actually a part of our temple. Like, it's a part of our faith. Like, there's a place set aside for us to have personal, intimate interaction with God. And it's not just like a one-shot deal. It's, it's not just for like, oh, that's just for, you know, full-time preachers or that's just for worship leaders. No, 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 no. If you are a child of God, guess what? You are a temple of the Holy Ghost. And if you are a temple of the Holy Ghost, you have the opportunity to make all this happen in your life. So that means that you can have moments where God will interact with you in a way that only you need or you can receive. And it secures and it solidifies and it creates testimonies and uh, just does so much. When you, when you have a moment when you can say, wow, like God, 
God touched me. Whoa. Or like, wow, I saw God. Or wow, I heard God. Whatever it might be, there's so many different things that can happen. When you have those moments, it does something to your mind, your heart, your faith, your life, your intimacy, your commitment to God. Now the worship team can come. I went a little bit longer than I wanted to. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.